0: I've been watching Brother Renee do this for 18 years. I've picked up on some of his nonverbal cues on when I am supposed to get back to my chair. I'm seeing if y'all have been paying attention. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this night, Father. God, we thank you for the opportunity, God, to come before you, God, to worship, God, to work through your word. God, and I pray, Father, that we all leave here differently, than in the way we came in. God, and that we have a higher view, Father, a deeper love God, for who you are. And in Jesus' mighty name, may my words be yours. Amen. All right. Good evening, church. Good to be here. It is an uh, unbelievable honor to have this opportunity. Um, you know, I've, I get to do this on Monday nights for, um, for the men. And this is the first time I actually get to speak to women and children. So, uh, so I asked my wife for a couple uh, tips and things I should say and things I shouldn't say. So at the end we'll figure out how much of that I how much of that I heated. Um, so as we know, you know we're going through chapter twenty two um, of Proverbs tonight, um, and before I read it I just want to give you a, a little bit there. Um, it's kind of broken up into two parts. Uh, verses one through sixteen will be the focus of what we speak on tonight, um, and then from there seventeen to through twenty nine. Um, it's actually a collection of 77 different Proverbs that actually weren't written by Solomon, but compiled by him, uh, by other godly men. Um, and they actually just deeper uh, expound on the, the wisdom of, um, of Proverbs. So we're, uh, we're not going to touch on that too much. We'll read through it. Uh, but before we do that, I just wanted to get you a, kind of a little understanding of how the, how the chapters broke down. But let's go through, let's go through chapter 22 first. A good name is to be chosen rather than in great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together, and the Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked, and whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave of the lender. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for for he shares his bread with the poor. Drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. The eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge, but, but he overthrows the words of the traitor, and the sluggard says there's a lion outside I shall be killed in the streets and the mouth of the forbidden woman is a deep pit and he with whom the Lord is angry will fall into it folly is bound up in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline drives it far from him and whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge for it will be pleasant for you to keep them within you and all of them are ready on your lips that your trust may be in the Lord, and I have made them known to you today, even to you. Have I not written for you thirty sayings of counsel and knowledge to make you know what is right and true, that you may give a true answer to those who sent you? Do not rob the poor because he is poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their cause and, the ro- and rob of life those who rob them. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Be not one of those who gives pledges, but who put up security or put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should, you, why should your bed be taken from under you? Do not move the ancient landmark that your father has set. And do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings, and he will not stand before obscure men. And that's all of 22. Rather long. Like I said, we're going to go through one through 16 tonight. As I said, I've got at least two hours. I should be able to manage that with no problem. My kids got to get to bed. So I titled this message, What's in a Name? And uh, the first time, or when I first said that, I said, you know, I said, I think that's, a, that's some sort of famous quote that starts with what's in a name, right? Any Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare people in the house? I'm not. That was my one woman plug for the night. <laughs> and uh, hopefully it sustains me through the rest of the night. Um... So that's in the poem, I didn't, I'm fairly certain I read just the cliff notes in high school, I definitely did not read the whole thing, um, I'm not sure if that's encouraging to some of you or not, but that's what it is. So I got, to, I thought about it, I said, what's, what's in a name, right? Um, and then, you, you know, in the story, there's two families, the Montagues and the Capulets, right? So those of you from down to you're fairly familiar with Montague, It's down highway, the other way, and the Capulets. Or the other ones. And they were, you know, their struggle was that they loved each other, right? And that why and but their names, because their families were feuding, there was an issue with them obviously loving one another, and we you know the rest of the story. Um but I got to thinking, you know, and the first part of this, and the first point we're gonna we're gonna go through is actually the first verse, 22-1. And actually I think there is a lot to a name. Um actually. Proverbs 22 1 says, a good name. Is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver and gold. You know, I've heard that verse all my life. Um, and most of you here have. It's, it's pretty popular. We understand it. We get it. We like it. We love it. Um, Brother and Nate talks about it regularly, about a good name. But as I started reading it, I said, you know, there's, there's a lot here than just what's on the surface. Uh, and the first thing that came up to me is, this is a good name is to be chosen. A good name is to be chosen. And I thought, well, you know what? That means Means I have a choice. That means there's an option for me to or, to do or do not. Actually, chosen is the verb, and choice is the noun in which that comes from. And the, for those of you that don't know, the definition of choice is the opportunity or power to choose between two or more possibilities, the opportunity or power to make a decision. So the very first thing is... Our good name is a choice, and as we go through life, we have that opportunity. We have, the, we have the decision to make of whether or not we're going to have a good name or not. I was watching a, a movie the other night, my wife and I, and there was the, the particular character they were talking about, um, his family was just a train wreck all through his life, and he was the, you know, he was the last the, the survivor, and he was equally wretched. Um, and it's, a, it's, a, it's just a secular movie, but the idea was when he was talking about it, he was explaining his, his last name, he spoke of it, and he says he wanted to, he wanted to end, end that situation with him and start it forward with a new family because he understood that the name that he had taken up until that point was demise, was destruction, it was bad, everything that's happened before him. And it was at that point that he realized if he, if he would take the, make the decision to change going forward, with his children and his next family, then everything in the past would end. So there's a choice that we can make on whether or not we want to have a good name. The second part of it says, and favor is better than silver and gold. And favor is better than silver and gold. So I see two things there. The first part talks about a good name, and the second part talks about favor. And the way I look at that is there's a a good name, is what we make the choice to have. And once we are in that, once we, we do and we obtain this good name, then favor follows. Favor will follow us all our days as long as we have that good name, right? So I started looking into it a little bit more and I got to you know, thinking, okay, a, a good name is to be chosen. And actually, in our translation, good is essentially implied. Uh, if you look up the word uh, name in Hebrew, S H E M, it's actually pronounced shame means honor, authority, and character. And that's just what the word name means all alone. So guys, the idea when it says that a good name is to be chosen, the implication there is that it's, it's good, that the name that, you, the name that you have, the name that, that God has for you is good. And that's what the intention is. But we've got to be in a place where we make a choice for that to take place. You know, I think about a good name, and I think about my life, And I just think about how important it is for us as as parents to hand down that great name to our kids. You know, we can have all kinds of things in life, but when we come to a place where we can hand down a a legacy to our children. You know, years ago when I started with men's ministry, it was actually one of the things that, one of the first things that God impressed upon my heart is, what kind of legacy are you going to leave here, Matt? And it wasn't that it was a question at the time whether I thought it was good or bad, But I never really thought about it. Um, You know, I was, I'm 34 years old. I like to believe I still have a lot of life ahead of me. But the reality is if we don't come to a place where we acknowledge that and come to grips with that and what that means, our life's going to pass us by. And we're going to look back and we're going to wonder what happened. You know, man, I missed out on this or I missed out on that. You know, and then the next thing that came to me was just intentionality. And what it means in our lives that we have to be intentional in what we do and what we do with our relationships and who we talk to, and how we talk to them. And all of that allows us to develop this good name. It's a choice. It's a choice for us to have a good name. Ecclesiastes 7.1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. Now, if you look at both parts of that scripture, there's two things. The first part says a good name is better than, and then it says and the day of death. So a good name and the day of death work hand in hand. 2 Timothy 4, 7 says, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. And I thought so many times, isn't it so true when we get to the end of our life, whether it be at your funeral, whether it be in conversations, are you not then judged for everything that's taken place, everything before that? And that's where it says that a good name and the day of death go hand in hand. And the opposite is just that. So that, you know, we, we as Christians view death much differently than the way God does. You know, we th- for us, in most situations, it's the end. For us, it's, oh, no. It's it, And it, not that there's not emotion that's fitting in those moments, but the reality is God views that completely different than us. God sees that at the moment whenever. If we, if we are in Christ, he knows that that's that place where he reunites. And we're in that place where we get to see him face to face, and it's a joyous time. For those that are left behind, it's sorrowful. But I'll tell you this, for those that are left behind, but with the knowledge that that person knew Christ, it's a different story. Guys, we have to make a choice so that when we have that day of death, we can say what Paul says there, that I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know, if it wouldn't be for a parent sitting right here, um, I'm 100% certain that you would not see me here. Um... And there's nothing more than As I was going through this, I was thinking about how important it is for parents to model in their lives what it is to have a good name, what it is to be a man of God. You know, I got to thinking, I said, you know, what, what did they say growing up? What did they tell me? What are the things that they spoke about a good name? And, you know, I'm sure there was some cliche sayings in there, and I'm sure I could come up with a list of things. But what I think more than anything is that I saw a life modeled before me. That, that presented a good name. You know, even to this day, and I can remember as, as a young boy, um, you know, meeting some of my uh, dad's co-workers. My dad worked offshore, so you only saw them for company picnics once a year or beach sweeps we used to do in Fushan. Uh, but I can always remember they would always, no matter how old I was, they always came up to me and would, and would just tell me um, how much they appreciated my dad and how good My dad wasn't at that age and at that time. You know, you don't think much of it. You know, it's like, cool, thanks. All right, you got a candy, a Coke or anything for me? Um, But outside of that, you know, but I look back on that now and what a blessing that is. You know, what a blessing that is to be in a position for that to be modeled for me to see that. And that's my next point, that a good name is modeled. A good name is modeled. Proverbs 22.6 says, to train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Once again, that's another verse we've just heard over and over again. I absolutely love it. Um, it's, it's intriguing to me um, just on the, where it's coming from. And I want to break down some of the parts of that for us so we can better understand. But first of all, the word train in Hebrew is called shanak. I do believe Hebrew is fairly close to down to Baia. I'm not sure if any of you have noticed but, I mean, a, a lot of them start with shah. And, I mean, it just is what it is. I, I don't know I tell you. But shanak, in the Hebrew, means to dedicate. So it says right there that we dedicate up a child in the way he should go. And then the next part says in the way that he should go. And I've thought about that a lot over the years, and I've, I've talked and never really quite understood. You know, I thought there was more to it. And what I think we're speaking to there is for thus for us as parents in those situations, whether you know, whether we have one child, three children, four children, five children, whatever it is, we need to be in a place and an understanding that that God has a very intentional plan and a purpose purpose for every one of those children. And things that we in the way we and the way we talk and the way we speak and the way we interact with with each one is probably going to be slightly different. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a moral absolute, and that doesn't mean you rid rid of a standard, but what it means is, is we need to be sensitive in those situations on what God particularly, not what we want to do, but what God's trying to do in each one of those children's lives so that we can help them and grow them into that. It says that we want to train up in the way he should go so that even when he is old, he will not depart. Not only, not only with the word, okay, the word dedicate, let's go back to that. It's also related to an Arabic word, um, where they would put a date-like mixture on the, the palate of a child in order to get them to desire a taste for that particular food as a child. Um, so they would, and your palate is where your sense of taste comes So, and that's what they would do. They would, they would gently rub that on there. And, what the, and the idea is is that they want that child to learn that and to like that and to love it. And, uh, and hopefully for, a, for their whole future, they carry that along with them, that level of nutrition or whatever it is. Well, the same thing goes for us as, as we raise our children, as, as Christ works in our lives. We want to give our children a taste and a desire for the goodness of God. We need, them to understand, we need them to be in a place that this is not the God of my mother, and this is not the God of my father, but this is a God that has something for me as well. And the reason why he has something for me as well is because I've tasted it, because I've seen it, I've seen my parents do it, I've seen my parents push through it, I've seen people around me do it, and it's something that's desirable, and it's something that's good, and it's something that they want. Because if not, then you just end up, you just relinquish yourself to being, you know, well, that's the God of my parents, or that's the God of my aunt, or that's the God of my friend. And they don't have a a direct relationship because they need somebody, need somebody in their life to dedicate and to work that into them. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, and I, I love this verse. It says, and these words that I commanded to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall wire them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You know, it was um, this section here actually in the two verses before, uh, some of you may may have heard before, is actually called the Shema. And the Shema in Jewish means to hear. And actually the first part of that in chapter 4 starts with, hear, O Israel. And this particular section of verse uh, for the, for, Jewish, uh, for Jewish custom is one of these verses that they, they have their children memorize. And actually there's, three more, there's two more sections after that that include all that. And so what what's so, I mean obviously it's a good verse, obviously I see the value in it, but what, what's going on there? And the number one thing there is not only that we're talking about our children, but the biggest thing is, is this, it, it's, it lists and talks about the importance of God. And how they were delivered out of bondage. And for them to never forget that. And the other thing is, you know, when we read through this verse, we see that, you know, we don't just talk to our children. And we just don't talk about Christ on Sunday morning or Wednesday afternoon. It says when we talk, when we lay, when we sit, when we walk. You know, for us, that all looks different. Some of it is it's different situations. But the idea is there's a steady and continual diet of this training up, of this dedicating this child and this person in your life into the ways of the Lord. Because once they do that, they become accustomed to it, and it becomes good. It's not a one-time event. It's a continual process that we must do as parenting. Continual process. And the next part of a good name being modeled, which all parents love, is discipline. Discipline is such a key component of uh, of parenting. You know, we think about discipline only being something for children. And we think about discipline... um, and some of us, depending on how we grew up in different forms or fashion, but the reality is is whenever it's done in a godly fashion, whenever it's done the way that God intended it, first of all, it's good. It, it, it actually works hand-in-hand with that process of dedication. It works hand-in-hand and reinforces what's going on because that child needs that balance. Proverbs twenty two fifteen says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Folly, and the part I want to talk about here is folly is bound up in the heart of the child. Folly is the willful refusal to make moral choices. It's the willful refusal to make moral choices. So Scripture is telling us right there that that's bound up in the heart of a child. And we know that the rod of discipline is what helps remove that folly. But the rod of discipline, apart from this this modeling and this training up, doesn't work. It's got to go hand in hand. We have, to, we have to be in a place where we're trying to remove that folly because re, here's what's awesome. We remove the folly, right? But when we remove the folly, what's then able to happen is the goodness of Christ and the goodness of the Holy Spirit is then able to come in and fill that spirit and fill that void of where that folly was. And as that happens throughout the process of a child's life, as that happens through the process of our own life, uh, we begin to just have a different understanding, a different belief of who God is and see how high and how important He is. Ephesians six four says, "Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord." And I think that speaks to that balance we were just talking about. That we've got to be in a place, God, where we can we can also we can take verse twenty two fifteen and twenty two six and we can combine those together in order to make that child understand more and more about Christ. You know, I often think about discipline um, and uh, how that looks and what it means and what actually is taking place in discipline. Yeah, there's obviously the physical act, and it's not always physical. If you're, if you're a parent like myself, I've got some children, just a good swift stare, and they're in tears. Other ones, not quite so much. But that's just the way it is, and it's different times. It's different for different ones. And that, the point is, is that goes back to us being sensitive and understanding the way that that child should go, and where God's calling that child, and what gifts and what talents are there. You know, but I think about what what actually happens there. It almost always starts off with correction, right? And then we correct them, and then we get to this place of, we get to the place of, okay, now we need to instruct. Because if we correct and we don't instruct, then there's no understanding. And if we instruct before we correct, we got, we've, they're not paying attention, so the reality is in, in anything, and this goes for us as adults, this goes for us as adolescents, no matter where we are, we need to first understand what we did wrong. We need to first have that place where we've been corrected. And then we need to be in a place where our hearts open to receive the instruction from that person in that moment. Because all through life, you know, you've, I'm sure you've all ran across people where they really, really struggle with instruction and correction. Um, and, I, and I believe, and the, and the ones that don't, I believe, I thank God for their parents. I think for them being in a place where they, where they made that important, where they made that a big deal in their child's life. This, and then what's even, what's even more exciting is what this process does, is this allows us as parents to disciple our children. It allows us to get to this place where our children are coming to know Christ more and more and more each day. Because the idea is there's going to be a day when these children leave. There's going to be a time when they're not in your home anymore. And when they leave, you want them to have that understanding of who Christ is, not only for their own lives, but so that at that point they can go out and make disciples of all men. But in in order to go out there and make disciples, we have to first understand what it means to be a disciple. We have to go through that process of discipleship, not only as a child, but for us as a man, that process as as people just continues our entire life. The next part here, after we see that a good name is modeled, is a good name reflects Christ. A good name reflects Christ. Proverbs twenty-two eleven says, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as a friend. And Ecclesiastes ten twelve says, The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. There's two things, both of those verses speak to favor. Both of those verses speak to a place when we have a purity of heart. When we're in a place and we have, we're sensitive to what Christ is doing, we're sensitive to what God is trying to do in our life, that we're in a place where we, we, we receive that favor. And then in that favor, this is the really exciting part, when we have that good name and we have that favor, we come to a place in our life where we're then given an opportunity to share Christ with others around us. Because that's ultimately the goal. That's ultimately what we're here for, is to go out and spread God's word. We want to put ourselves in a place, church, where when people come to us and they want to understand, well, what is, what is it that you have? What is that hope? What is going on there? And that's God in you. And in that moment, you'll be able to share that. Matthew five thirteen through 16. I love this. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, and nor do people flight a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, As I look through that verse there, the first part talks about salt, and the next part talks about light. For those of you that are in Life groups right now, this is one of the lessons we had in the last few weeks. Um, and it is so, it's so important and so true that we understand, we understand our role as Christians is to be salt and to be light, to, to, to preserve Christ, to be a light that shines out for all to see. And I love what it says at the end of 16. It says, and all of this is to give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The Church, if we miss the idea that that's what it's all about, which well, it's just that. We've missed it. Because our life is to, is to glorify and to edify Christ. Because in that, that's the only real change that takes place. We know that the Bible says that his spirit draws a man unto him. And we want to be in a place where we are glorifying God and we're, a, and we're putting ourselves in a position that we can, we can say the very same thing that we're doing. And then on top of that, we need to couple our good name. We need to couple our favor with with a diligent study of God's word. You know, I love, that's one thing that's always mentioned about Wednesday nights is just the fact that we go verse by verse and book by book. Um, And it's just, it is so important, it is so important that we couple all of this with diligency of God's word. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, right here, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And I love what he's saying there about the idea that people are going to, that's the thing people are going to see in your life over other things, is they're going to see hope. They're going to see, well, this guy just lost somebody in his family. What's, why's, why is he responding in this way? This guy just did this. This guy just lost his job. This guy lost this. And they go through life, and there's people around you saying there's something different. And what they don't, they may not realize it in that moment, but what it is, it's hope. It's the hope that we have in Christ alone. And in that moment, which goes back to there, it says that we will be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for that reason. Why do you have that hope? Why do you have that hope? You know, as, we, as we go through the rest of Proverbs and as you're at home studying through this and, and whatever you're reading, I, my, my encouragement to you is one thing, is that you look always in Scripture for the bigness of God, that you always look for what he's, what he's saying, what truth is there that glorifies Him. Because in that, guys, that's where the real change happens. That's where families are restored. That's where lives are changed when the Holy Spirit is able to get in there and move. I'm gonna leave you with this verse tonight. One of my favorites. It's 2 Corinthians 4:5. It says, "For we proclaim, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. We proclaim is not ourselves, Church. God, we thank you for this night, and I thank you for this opportunity. And I just ask, Father, that your word, Father, just sinks into our hearts, God. Yeah, that we do leave here, Father, in a place. That we just have a greater desire for you. That we love you. That we thank you for the opportunity. God protect us as we travel home. And in Jesus' mighty name, Amen. You are dismissed.